Hey folks, this is Mike from the Battles of the First World War podcast. So, we have received a wonderful gift from Associate Professor Fiona Graham, who is an Associate Professor, Producer, and Director at Staffordshire University's Production House, and Colin Wynn, a retired weapons engineer, First World War tunneling expert, and member of the Hawthorne Ridge Crater Association at beaumont Mel, France. Due to the ongoing pandemic and its related closures, commemoration events for the 1st of July on the Somme in France are likely to be severely reduced or canceled altogether. The 1st of July, of course, is the first day of the Battle of the Somme and the day the Hawthorne Ridge mine was blown for the first time. To help broadcast this year's commemoration efforts and continue to live up to the well-known phrase, lest we forget, Ms. Graham and Mr. Wynn have graciously provided the BFWWP with an interview conducted on-site at the Hawthorne Ridge Crater. I am deeply grateful and thankful for the opportunity to share this interview here with all of you. It's not often you are invited to be part of a military history and archaeology team examining the very beginnings of the Battle of the Somme. But this is what happened to associate professor and radio and television producer Fiona Graham as part of a new research team at Hawthorne Crater near beaumont in France. Fiona is a producer and writer who works on historical projects using film at Staffordshire University with colleague cinematographer Paul Otte. She works hand-in-hand with history and archaeology teams and communities to research and capture the stories of the battlefields and sites across Europe, including Auschwitz and the First World War. Their recent work includes working on a film about Tank Deborah D-51 and the Battle of Cambrai, which they have exhibited in Northern Ireland and public talks in the UK, and shown to help educate new generations of schoolchildren in Britain and France about the battle. In this conversation on location in France, she introduces us to her friend and colleague Colin Wynn, from the Hawthorne Ridge Crater Association as they take us on a journey around the World War I iconic crater and explain the work they are doing together today from the sites on, around, and inside this massive hole in the ground with a circumference of over half a mile. Colin is a retired weapons engineer for the Royal Ordnance and BAE Systems and his grandfather was killed near Ahas in 1917. He's worked on the BBC documentary Secret Tunnel Wars of the Somme with historian Peter Barton and made short films and podcasts in America, including here, the BFWWP. It's the first time anyone has been granted access to uncover the secrets of this time capsule, which has laid dormant for over 100 years, and Fiona and Colin are the team bringing this new story to light for the next generation. Join them here on a tour on foot on a sunny but sometimes windy day as they explain what's happening on the battlefields of northern France today. Hope you enjoy.
We're walking up Hawthorne Crater. It's quite steep, this Colin. It is when you do it 10 times a day or more, but it's not as bad as it was. Um, part of our brief on this project, as you well know, was to make access a bit easier. You know, so we've taken the humps out of it and we've covered it in bark. It's pretty steep though, going Ooh. back there, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> how far is that? You can't believe how high it is. Well, it's, pr it's probably 80, 90 metres long, but the elevation change is probably 30 metres. But that proves why the Germans used this spot to build the redoubt, because they've got the height advantage again. You know, and they, they were really good at it. So just give us an idea where we are at the moment. Well, we're approaching the, the northern end of the July the 1st crater, which is when you arrive on site. It's the first thing you see. And it's the first thing that actually takes your breath away, the sheer scale of this thing. A lot of people have been to other craters, and they're nice, round, conical craters, perfectly uniform or inspiring. But this one isn't. Because of the land, it's elongated, it's, it's ovoid, it's egg-shaped. You know, and you can see it changes shape as you walk around it. It does. I mean, we're walking around the perimeter now, and if I look to my left... We've got the village church, haven't we, there, we have. down there of Beaumont? That's the village of Beaumont. But you've got to remember that this very nice field full of cows that you're looking at to the left, if you look carefully, you can see ridges and darker and lighter lines in it. You're actually looking at Hawthorne Redoubt, this strong point of trenches built on top of the hill, which was the primary reason for putting the mining in the first place. Unfortunately... The positioning of the charge was short of the intended target by some 150 feet. So only a section of the redoubt was blown. Enough to cause mayhem, but it wasn't all of it. And that led to problems when the Germans came forward and occupied the crater. They managed to do it really quickly because a lot of their men were still intact. But now it's so peaceful and we're facing the church and it's really difficult to visualize how brutal this area was and we're looking back now towards the Bergwerk looks serene and beautiful it was a scene of utter carnage on July the 1st 1916 and down there I can see is the famous sunken lane that was taken in the pictures made by Geoffrey Malins Geoffrey Malins yeah, yeah. indeed and yeah. it just snakes up that hillside looking totally innocuous and hiding all the bloodshed and terror that was there. It's, it's a sobering place to be. It is. It, it's, it's so peaceful now, though, it's isn't beautiful. it? It's beautiful. It really is. And it's not only peaceful, it's very friendly. The people who live here are really nice. They've been so supportive to us. They're so interested in what we're doing. It's making our life easier than it it's could possibly have been. You know, it could have been very awkward. We met, what is it really now, about 18 months ago? 18 months, Maybe yeah, a bit more believe, than that unbelievably, now. yeah. I can't believe where it's gone. I and... know. <laughs> I've got one more grey hair. <laughs> I've got a few more, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> so, it's unique, this. I mean, I think that's why I was so interested in the mm. project with you. And for me, from a film technology perspective, it always had that, that interest with Geoffrey Malins being mm. one of the early war cinematographers. But this is the crater where that absolutely famous photograph was actually taken mm, and film was, was taken. It's the only time, it's the only explosion on the Western Front that's ever been filmed. 
There are other explosions that have been filmed, but they're all training explosions, all in England except for one. So this is unique. This this site has several unique factors. Here comes that sun. Yeah, the wind, wind is back. It always <laughs> comes. It never goes away. It doesn't. Um, but yeah, and also on the side of Malins was Ernest Brooks. And Ernest Brooks was taking some iconic still photographs that even today are just fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And the thing is that those photographs and that video footage have sort of given us a key to the door when we're looking at our research here. It's easier for us because we've got a visual reference. On all the other sites I've worked on, we didn't have any of that. No visual reference to what happened on the site. Maybe the odd black and white photograph here, but never the sheer number of photographs and the footage we've got. It is so vital to our research. It's quite intriguing, isn't it, that this site hasn't been looked at before? It's, it, it's been the lost brother. It has. <laughs> it's kind of... It's sitting in the shadow of Newfoundland Park. I can literally see over yeah, there you can see to it. Newfoundland Park. It's not far, is it, from no, here? No, it's not far. And, and remember that we're standing only a matter of yards in front of the German front line, and that front line goes all the way up to Newfoundland Park. Does anybody ever talk about that piece of trench or how it links? No. But finally, we've had a breakthrough, and we've met some people who work with the Canadians because it's vital that these projects link together. As you well know, it, it's not an action here and an action there. It's one big action. And it's not straight. It's far from straight. Even where we're stood now, there, there are two huge 90-degree bends in the front line. Well, over there to the distance on the horizon there is the famous Lutchens Memorial. Tietvall, yep, yep. Tietvall. You can't we're, miss it, can you? You, you on a cannot sun, miss sunny it. sunny day like this as well. No, and just to one side of it is Leipzig's Redoubt, which is another one of these. And if we turn back the other way and look over the valley towards Redan Ridge, there's another redoubt up there. So, in effect, the Germans were building a front line much like an English castle. A single wall, then a turret. Single wall and turret. Here, it's a front line trench and then a redoubt. A front line trench and then a redoubt. It's probably the best analogy that I can come up with, is, is how they design the front line. Should we go and have a look down? We can go it's down. It's a steep path. It's a steep path, it, but it is safe. Um, we've had explosives experts check every inch of where the public walk around this crater because public access is way up there on our priorities. This is not our little secret, you know? And, you know, the work that your film unit's doing and the university's doing is all adding to that because it's more interest. Should we go down there? Let's, let's give it a go. Let's Just go. watch out for tree roots. They still stay slippy. How deep it is, do you? <laughs> this is enormous. It's huge. As you get down, it's, it's like walking into a huge sports arena. And you, see, you know, when you first hear the word crater, you think, oh, you know, there are enormous craters. Yes, we know. In this World War different. One, but yeah. this is different. This is very different. This is unique. We've now reached right down into the bottom. So we're we're 45 to 50 feet below the surface level. And the first thing that hits you is the sheer volume of earth that's been blown out of here. 
If you look at a standard cone upside down, you think that's what a, a mine or a bomb would produce. Here it hasn't. It's produced this huge egg-shaped crater. And then on the, the left-hand side of it is, can you see that steeper bit? I do, yeah. That's the second crater. It's like a wall. It is. It's so like a wall of vegetation at the moment. It's I mean, it wouldn't. No, it Why wouldn't is it be. so steep? It's steep because this charge was a different type of charge to the first one. The first charge, July 1st, was, was an overcharge. Put more explosive in than you need in order to soften the sides angle-wise and to throw the spoil further so that your attacking troops haven't got a mountain to climb. But with the second blow, we've already got that soft approach. So we can use a standard charge which causes a tighter, compacter cone and doesn't throw the spoil as far. But you end up with this ice cream cone type shape. So that was the first blast? This is the first blast, the gentle one. Side. The gentle one. The, no, the July the first one is the first one, which is the northern one. This is the one you first see when you come up that mm -hmm. very steep path. And then the one at the back is the southern side on the, the Newfoundland Park edge. That's the second blow. Do, totally different ethos for both blows. You know, it's the timings were different. Lessons were learnt from the first blow and applied to the second. And then the proof of the pudding is that the first attack can only be described as a catastrophe and a failure. The second attack, complete success. And this is really a time capsule, isn't it, mm. over the past 100 years? Very much so. Um, we, we're finding clues and artefacts in the ground that tell us what we're looking at. We're finding features that have been built into the craters that we knew nothing about. We had no idea because it was so overgrown, ignored and lost as, as a feature. Very few people came up here because it was such a trek to get here. When you get here, you literally had to abseil down the sides to get into it. Now it's open, it's clear, it's safe, this and there's a lot to learn. There is. I a mean, this learn. is the future, isn't it, really, for, for history and mm. for archaeology? It is. And finding out some of those answers that we, we don't necessarily know about. We don't know, for example, where the tunnel was 100%. Well, we don't know 100%. I would be quite brave and say 95% we do and the next decision we have to make is how do we facilitate finding and opening up that shaft and tunnel it's high on the list of priorities but we're finding other features as well just as interesting and it's we're, we don't want to get pulled too thin we want to be able to keep our resources tight and try and focus on things that we can achieve simply but we're getting there we've spent time and money already in improving the access and the security we've fenced off areas that we'd prefer people not to go into for instance because they're walking on archaeology so rather than just say you can't go into the crater at all we took the quite brave decision I think but completely justifiable to open a safe viewing area, to encourage people to do what you and I have just done and walk down that slippy path, it's perfectly safe. You've got a lot of bark down There's a lot of bark though. chippings, if yeah. you fall you'll, you'll bounce and you can come down here and clearly see what's down here. I think it's really interesting as well, I know it's a big team, isn't it? Mm. All of us together. It There's is, a yeah. whole host of different it, academics, mm. industry. It's multinational as well, mm. which is the nice thing. 
you know we've got German archaeologists we've got German researchers we've got French people working with us we've got Belgians we've got a couple of Americans and Canadians coming in occasionally so it's really good and it's growing the interest level is growing here um, we're using a little bit of social media and we're building a website and I believe the university is building a website which we can then link them together so the information will be out there we're not keeping secrets this is for everybody on behalf of everybody in this small space there were five different landowners that we had neg to negotiate with before we could get our 99 year lease and it was difficult but now the agreement's in place everybody's really happy with it and we've had a surveyor out who's marked our boundaries and we've fenced to those marks so it's secure yeah. now for 99 years that looks steep going back up. It's, yeah, and there's <laughs> a big shell hole in the middle of it, I'm afraid. <laughs> Which we'll walk around. Shall we have a but go it then? is steep. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go, because... you go first then, shall you? Yep. Here we go. So through the shell hole. Through the shell hole. And interesting with shell holes, did you know you could read them? Come on. They're not me. round. They're teardrop shaped. I can see now. And they yeah. have a head and a tail. And the tail is thinner and narrower and you can tell the direction that shell came from because when it hits it pushes the ground away in front of it and leaves a drag mark behind it so you can read them we have an expert on our team rick smith he will even tell you what size round it was that made that hole you know he lives eats and breathes artillery just how big is the crater then that we've just come up from uh, the first crater is 140 feet long 120 feet wide and 50 feet deep the second crater, it's difficult to size it because there's some anomaly on it, but it's about 60 feet deep and it's approximately 90 feet in radius. So it's quite big. Just a bit. And I'm breathing heavily now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll let you get it. Oh, thank you. That's better. It's level up here. Um, so now we're getting further around, we're, we're reaching the southern end now and what, where we're looking at the moment is if you like the, the south eastern corner and there's a lot of artillery damage, huge shell holes and Rick has kind of got it in his head that we're targeted, it's not random there was something in this crater, the 16 the July 16 crater that the British artillery knew about and were looking for. This is the southwestern corner, right on the bottom edge of the November blow. And we're actually looking straight across at Newfoundland Park. And just slightly to our right is Hawthorne Cemetery, Hawthorne number one. Hawthorne number one is interesting because they're all November the 13th and July the 1st casualties in there, including a chap called Lieutenant Brockett. Lieutenant Brockett and his team of signalers were the only people to reach the crater on the 1st of July. And he lies with his two mates in that cemetery. It's a very small, peaceful cemetery. It's a walled cemetery. It's, mm. it's not big at all. No, is it's it, not. I think two trees. There's the around about 200 men in it, mm. two lovely trees, a flint wall around it. It mm. sits on its own in the middle of a field 
and it's guarding the gap between the crater and Y Ravine. It's perfectly in the middle of the two features. And straight ahead now, as we turn the corner, you can see the village of Oceanvere. Right on the see the church spire there, about, about a mile away. So we're now heading towards the west. And in the west were the British trenches. Marlborough Street, Cripps Cut, Carlisle Street, Cardiff Street, all straight ahead of us now. And these were the jumping off trenches on July the 1st and November. And to give it to some perspective and, a, and an idea of what we're doing here, we're literally going round in a full circle, Three, aren't we? 360 degrees. And we're um, roughly around about halfway? I would say, over. I'd say we're pretty much halfway. In fact, as part of our research, we actually marked the centre line of the second crater and we've just, we've done it on the fence. We've put um, a marked cross in tape, in indelible tape, so it's going to be there. That marks the centre line. It means that when we're measuring, we use the same line for accuracy. Something that's never been done before is to look at the upcast, look at what comes out of there and where it lands, and how far does it go? And they've taken samples radiating out from the craters, some 25 metres, and they've found that it's, it changes so much, and you can read the throw of the spoil quite easily with their expertise. They've now taken a whole second series of samples and we await the results when they get back to their laboratories with, with anticipation. Because again, this is another example of how much effort we're putting in to telling the correct story of this place. Because we don't want to put information out that isn't 100%, because there's no point. We could make up any story about this place, we won't do it. We will wait and we will spend the time and the money and the effort to get the right answers. And our partnership with Staffordshire University is paramount to help us do that. Not just from research, but the work that you guys do with the film unit. Because that gives people open access to us through social media and through other means where they can feel like they're part of it, like they're here, and then one day hopefully they'll come down and actually be here but you're opening that door and that is very important I think this you know digitally archiving what you're doing in archaeology from the very beginning as well is something that is really it's incredibly important today and using the latest technology to be able to for us to do that whether mm. that's you know drone technology yeah. um, or whether we're doing something like now that we're actually yeah. going to do a podcast and we can use different yeah. different forms to actually tell the story and get that out to the public so you can actually hear and this has never it. been done has it no never not been done here. not in this depth no it's a very exciting project and it has so many different facets to it from both the history and what's happening today. I mean, the amount that we've learnt since those very early days is quite staggering. Yeah. It, the, the, the exponential rate of increase of our knowledge is incredible and we couldn't have done it on our own. We simply couldn't. 
I think what's interesting for us now, if we take a look over to our left, mm -hmm. we can see the spot there where Jeffrey Malins was stood. The exact spot. I think the interesting thing from our perspective as well is we're looking to see how the, he took that, that, mm. that infamous image that we actually see and how could we actually replicate it today with the latest digital film technology too. So it's something that Paul Otty, who's one of our senior lecturers, is really keen in looking into mm. as well and finding out. But also, if you go down to our right from here, that's the famous sunken lane, isn't it? It is. It's the sunken lane with the terrible, terrible field in front of it. And then just in front of that, sadly, is the cemetery where many of the men that left that sunken lane on that fateful morning in July, that's where they lie today. And we've been extremely lucky and fortunate in that the landowners around here are so supportive that they've allowed us into a section of wood where it's private, you can't go in, but they've allowed us in there and we saw the trenches, the German trenches. We saw the field of fire the German machine gunners had got and it's just horrific what our soldiers had to go through. And we do remember those, the faces, I mean recently there's been Peter Jackson's film, mm. hasn't there? That's, it has, yeah. Um, that captured the, the faces there it and did. they're going over and, and waiting to. One of the guys who was involved in that uh, remake um, that Peter Jackson did was, was Andy Robertshaw. And Andy is part of the team working here with us um, from the historian side of things. And he also wrote a book about Malin's work. And we've been able to tie in what Malin's did and Brooks and try to, if you like, overlay it on today's scene. And basically, we can stand up here now where you and I are standing on, right on the edge of a crater. We're only three feet from a very steep drop. It's really high. <laughs> but we've, we've got a safety fence there, so it's fine. And we can look across and we can see the exact spot at the bottom of Jacob's Ladder where Malin's had his camera. Yeah. And it's, it seems like a stone's throw away. That's the staggering thing. It's so close. And even the British front line was so close. 300 yards. It's nothing. I think to be able to see the lie of the land is so incredibly important, mm, isn't it? When it is. When you're walking around here. And to be able to see that now from this crater, which you haven't really been able to do properly no. until now, is giving us a different perspective and different answers. We're it just is. pulling up here on our right. And this is where the archaeologists have now finished. They've actually backfilled mm, today. They have. But they've been working on this all week. And as you said, that's been an international team. It has, that's very much so. But you've, you know, you found a, a what you think, you, well, it is a firing bay. That's it is. Here. It definitely is a firing bay. But the, the amazing thing is that next to it, we believe now there's a forward observation post because there is too much communication cable running into there for it just to be a gun position. You'd normally find one or two pairs of communications cable. There are 10 to 12 pairs running into that feature. There's stuff everywhere, small fragments of stuff, but stuff that archaeologists can read and tell a story from. That's why they're archaeologists. And we're very fortunate in having our lead archaeologist, Dane Wright. He's, he's so adept at reading battlefield situations and battlefield features that he can see things that then you look and you think, well, actually, I get that, but you'd never have done it on your own. You know, he... He can do this. He has this gift for spotting things. We're very lucky to have him. He's just another one of our invaluable cogs. And it's, it's a pleasure to watch him work, actually, even though he's teetering on the edge of a slope. <laughs>
But it's not just it's him. I mean, the community no, here. We, we've been working with them, haven't we? We were we out have. with them yesterday, yep. and we were in the the Mari mm. with with the the villagers down there in Beaumont. And Francis, I mean, he's been helping us. Francis it's is incredible. Amazing. He's a local. He's one of the landowners who own the crater, and he's in his seventies. But he comes up here at his own volition and starts laying the, the bark down and, and strimming the, the craters. And he's at it all day. He never stops. And then he'll come back the next day, a big smile on his face, and he'll start again. And he puts people <laughs> 20 years younger than him to shame. He's a machine. He's ridiculous. And he's such a lovely man. And his wife, Marie she's put together an exhibition off her own back about Hawthorne craters in the local Marie. And she's gone round the whole village and she's got photographs from everybody, any old photographs, any old documents. And it's a treasure trove of information for our historians and researchers. You know, it's, it's opening our eyes in yet another direction, what? the civilian direction. And I can see there's a few tourists over mm. there that Rick's talking to now. The people have been coming here, haven't they? They have, and the numbers are growing. Um, it's something that's another proof of the pudding with the local authorities because we were concerned because car parking's limited here but rather than just say you've got to deal with it the commune have said we'll build you a better access we'll put signs in we'll put laybys in they've been and they've resurfaced the road without us even asking them to do it they've just done it Incredible. I think actually getting that message out to the public with film as well, hopefully. Massive. You know, we've been talking, I know we have, we've had meetings with the, the Director of Tourism on the Somme, uh, we've been at Amiens, mm. we've been at Albert, we've been meeting people to talk about and, and, and basically donate our footage to them and for the tourism boards too, so hopefully mm. it gets people along. I'm meeting people at Tiatval as well and putting posters up and yep. get, hopefully generating more people to it's come vital. along and see and learn. And this is what it's all about, isn't it? At it's, the end of the day, it's, it's learning. It's a learning about. curve with a diverse and committed and dedicated group. It's simply amazing what's happening here and long may it continue um, we welcome people we don't mind if it's two of you or 52 of you if you feel like you want to come and visit please do and if we're here which we are a lot of the times we'll take the time out to spend an hour or 10 minutes with you whatever you want this is for everybody I've said it before and I don't mind repeating it this project is for everybody it's not our little secret. It's not an academic exercise. This is living history. Right, we're coming to the end now. Mm, finally. <laughs> <laughs> it's half a mile round the, the circumference. <laughs> it is. And we're out of the wind now, which is a, a pleasant change. I can see there's um, some tourists up there, and I know one are. of your regular jobs that you're doing here is taking people round, explaining the history. I see Rick's there, as I say, so I might say bye to you now and let you go and join Brilliant. them. And they... Well. Thank you very much for all your assistance and friendship and it's extremely valuable to us and we will all work together for a long time I'm sure. There's lots to be found so we're looking forward to it and we'll keep everybody involved and informed. Thanks Colin. Bye bye. <laughs>